I want this government to feel different. I want it to feel uh, like we are a government that's truly um, focused on everybody. I know I need to transcend politics in the way that I govern, but I also want this government to feel different. I want people to feel that it's open, um, that it's listening, um, and that it's going to bring kindness back. Kia ora, I'm Emile Donovan. This is The Detail. And that was Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern back in 2017 pledging to lead a government of kindness and transformation. Three years later, Jacinda Ardern has won the most overwhelming election victory in a lifetime. The country gave the party the greatest support it's had for at least 50 years. It was a red wave last night, with National plummeting to its worst results in nearly two decades. But the road to a second term is littered with policy corpses. We will no longer campaign for or implement a capital gains tax. Voters have said nope to legalising dope. National leader Judith Collins was again trying to rock the boat with her wealth tax attack. Obviously I've already ruled it out. Uh, The fact that the opposition continue to raise it is unfortunately a desperate tactic in the closing days of the campaign. So, with the biggest mandate in the history of MMP, Is there a danger the Labour-led government has sealed itself in a straitjacket of its own making? What's holding it back from unleashing traditional left-leaning reforms or even pushing through cannabis legalisation in spite of the referendum result? David Cormack is a consultant who's also worked as a staffer with the National, Labour and Green parties. And I began by asking him about a pretty popular buzz phrase at the moment – Political capital. It's absolutely political losers like you and me. It's it's terms that we use. I don't believe it's an actual thing. Uh, and there's a really good data point to support this, which is the flag referendum. Right? People said that John Key had a huge amount of political capital that he didn't really spend. Well, he tried to spend it on changing the flag, and it failed horribly and blew up in his face. So I don't actually think that political capital is a, is a real thing. Political parties these days are too heavily guided by focus groups and polling. They are led by the people when they should actually be leading the people. There is no political capital. It's not a thing. It's a concept that we like to throw around for popular leaders who don't do as much as we want them to. And we try and rationalise why they're not doing it. And we go, oh, they've got all this political capital. Why would they not be spending it? And political capital is actually just the number of votes you received at the last election. Part of that election, of course, was the cannabis referendum, where the no votes scraped through by the slimmest of margins. Special votes have closed that narrow gap even further. The margin's thinner than a cannabis leaf, but voters have said nope to legalising dope. In the final count, 50.7% voted no, versus 48.4%. Now, in real numbers, that's a difference of just 67,000 votes. This is one of Cormac's pet subjects. He wants Labour ministers, who were generally in favour of reform, to lead those changes, rather than just governing potentially vote-losing issues by referendum. Former Justice Minister Andrew Little talked about this on Election Day, saying that while the vote was close, the people had spoken and that the issue of recreational cannabis reform was, for the foreseeable future, off the table. I don't think that you can claim the people have spoken, right? So we that's a very uh, first-past-the-post mentality, right, which we did away with in the 90s because it's not representative of the people. And so we chose a system of governance here in New Zealand, MMP, because that's representative and it doesn't screw over 
minority groups because you run into what political scientists call the tyranny of the majority, right? Where if you've got a group of people who are the majority, they will dominate over the top of minority groups, even if those minority groups would benefit from certain policy changes. And in the uh, instance of cannabis reform, uh, that's an inherently racist law. Uh, That law affects Māori far more than it does uh, any other group, but Māori don't make up 51% of the New Zealand populace, and so they lose out uh, in a vote like that. So the people haven't spoken. A majority of people spoke. A bare majority of people spoke. Uh, you also don't want to marry yourself too tightly to that. Uh, talking about like the Brexit example, right? You had 52% of the voters in that referendum have now created an absolute crap heap uh, for that entire country and for parts of Europe, and that's a very slim majority too. So, no, it's not the people have spoken at all. And also, I mean, politicians should get off Twitter anyway, so Andrew Little (laughs) should not have been having those conversations in the first place. I get what you mean, but it's how things are done at the moment, right? You know, it is majorities, and... You know, the vote against cannabis won a majority. Yeah, but it's not a majority. Like, so to go back to my MMP example, right, we traditionally rely on coalitions so that we get re- better representation. This election was an aberration. This is not how things are done. We Things shouldn't be put to referenda unless they are sort of constitutional issues like uh, extending the parliamentary term. The reason why we have representative democracy is so that we elect these people to make these decisions on our behalf. And it was a shortfall in the Greens' confidence and supply agreement that this even went to referenda in the in the first place. Uh, same with the end-of-life choice bill. You know, New Zealand First made that go to referenda because they are too cowardly to make decisions that uh, are a bit emotional. And so you can have sort of conscience votes on it, but that's what our politicians are there to do. They're there to make those decisions for us, and they are supposed to take expert advice and then move on that. Back in 2010, uh, when Simon Power and John Key Uh, was the Minister of Justice, the Law Commission recommended that we make medicinal cannabis legal and that we heavily reduce the sentences for recreational use, and we did nothing then as well. And now, 10 years later, we have a referendum. It doesn't go the way that uh, I wanted it to, and I respect that result, but it shouldn't have gone to a referendum at all. We now find ourselves in a slightly weird position, don't we, in that Labour has just won the first outright majority since Moses was in short pants. Yet on this issue, and this is an issue, you know, where the Prime Minister voted in favour, um, where Andrew Little, the former Justice Minister, wants reform, and yet this government is kind of do, do you feel like it's almost straight-jacketed itself in this issue? Yeah, and they straight-jacket themselves, well, particularly the Prime Minister straight-jackets uh, the Labour Party across a number of issues because she rules things out. She ruled out a capital gains tax. We have tried to build a mandate, but ultimately have been unsuccessful. For that reason, I'm today setting out that for certainty's sake, that under my leadership, we will no longer campaign for or implement a capital gains tax. She ruled out a wealth tax. We heard this morning uh, her revenue spokesperson, Stuart Nash, saying on radio that uh, he would resign if uh, there was a wealth tax brought in, just really trying to hammer home how much this really isn't on the cards, uh, even if there's a coalition with the Greens. She said that any drug law reform is, is, is off the table. Well, not drug law reform, but at least legalisation is now off the table, which is just 
ridiculous and short-sighted because positions are continually evolving and we're learning new things uh, about, I don't know, the harmful effects of drugs and, and we're learning uh, better ways to have a tax system that's progressive and fair and, and redistributes money to where it needs to go. And so to just come out with these really binary, this is not going to happen while I'm Prime Minister kind of statements is just stupid. It was the same when John Key said that the retirement age would not go up while he was Prime Minister or he'd resign. You know, just making these these final commitments is dumb. And also, we don't elect Prime Ministers. We elect parties to govern, and then those leaders become Prime Ministers. So really, the Prime Minister has no right to be making those kinds of statements, and it just so happens that our last two Prime Ministers have been insanely popular people, and so basically their will becomes the will of the parties, but that's back to front and not how it should be. The Prime Minister would argue that people want certainty and that rolling things in or out gives people certainty. And as you mentioned, the past two Prime Ministers have been tremendously popular. So, I mean, aren't they doing something right? Well, I mean, it's their inactivity, I think, that sort of creates their popularity, right? Like, the incrementalism that we've seen from both of them has meant that for the vast majority of people, their lives aren't upended. And so that goes to your first point, which is that people absolutely crave certainty in their life. But just because that's a popular thing doesn't necessarily mean that it's the right thing. So across history, all the all the civil rights changes and movements that we've seen have initially been really unpopular, but they've sort of won over the populace by being morally right. And, and that's... To, to just straightjacket yourself is so short-sighted and it's the sort of thing that an activist does rather than a politician. In the end, you know... The electorate has made their respective decisions, and for the, whatever reason, we've got the results that we've got. So you supported it, and we know today the Prime Minister supported it too. So if you believed in it and thought this was the right thing, why weren't you braver, rather than, the critics would say, sit silently? Well, I don't think you could characterise um, what we did as sitting silently. In the end, my job as Minister of Justice came flowed out of the confidence supply agreement with the Greens in 2017, which was to hold a referendum on whether or not we should legalise cannabis. In the end, uh, it was for the electorate to But you didn't really push it, did you, Minister? You didn't push it as a campaign thing. You didn't say, OK, Labour wants this change to happen. Uh, look, I, I didn't conceal my uh, preference and, and the way I was voting. Um, and working on the legislation as I did, leading that project, uh, gave me you know, good information and clear insights. And my, my critical role was to make sure that the, there was draft legislation, that the, the question was framed in a way that meant we could uh, get good information out, that it was simple to understand. But in the end, people made their decision, and the polls showed that this was always going to be a roughly 50-50 call, and that's actually what happened, although clearly on the less than 50 on the, on the yes side than, than on the, than the no side. So there we go. A few years ago, as America grappled with another mass shooting... TV host John Oliver went to Australia to speak to politicians there about the aftermath of the 1996 Port Arthur massacre. Now, that massacre led to calls for large-scale gun reform, but it wasn't popular everywhere. In the state of Queensland, for example, public sentiment was very much against the idea. And this placed then-Queensland Premier Rob Borbidge in a delicate position. He was in favour of reform, his constituents, the people who elected him, were not. I took the stand. I was prepared to face the political consequences. 
and uh, we delivered gun control. He ended up paying a heavy price, voted out in the 1998 election. We paid a, a high political price, but we did the right thing. After that interview, John Oliver sat down with Jim Manley, a Democrat Party strategist who insists large-scale gun reform is too politically difficult to get over the line. And he asked him this. What makes a politician successful? Getting re-elected by uh, his or her constituents. Right. Yep. Th- that, that's how you judge success. OK. That's a... Well, uh, getting legislation done. Is second. Is second, yes. So that is second. Holy <laughs> that is second? Uh, if I could rewind this tape, I'd say getting legislation done and getting re-elected by your constituents. Power for the sake of power is a phrase that's been doing the rounds over the past sort of couple of weeks in particular with regard to this government. Do you think that that is a fair accusation? No, I think that anyone who gets into politics, initially anyway, gets into it with the intention of changing things, right? We all have our own views and our own ideology, and we all think that if this happened and I got my way, then the world would be a better place. And I think that's what drives people to get into politics in the first place, is that they want to change and fix the world. So I think that there's at least uh, an intention there. It's just then the ways and means you go about doing that. And so for Jacinda Ardern, it seems that it is to amass as many voters as possible, and then make really slow change to the electorate around the margins rather than anything wholesale. I don't think it's power for power's sake, and I also never thought that with John Key either. I just think that they lack the courage to truly go for it because they think that it would cost them future elections. And it might, you know? Like I, I was willing John Key to do something with with all the popularity that he had, you know, even if it was something like privatise the health system, which I am dead against, but at least just do something with with what you've got. And and the same with the current Prime Minister. And right now is the perfect time to, to do it. The very beginning of your second term is the ultimate time to start enacting change because you, you're a bit reluctant to do it in your first term because you don't want to become defined by whatever it is you do. And by your third term, people start to get a bit sick of you. Uh, the very beginning of your second term is the ideal time get it done now and then spend the next two and a half years making the electorate who was opposed to it forget about it. Do you think the point of government is to, to lead the people or to reflect the will of the people? It's a really good philosophical question. Um, I think that governments should be there to continually improve countries. Uh, so I guess my, my view is to lead the people. Because oftentimes recreational cannabis has kind of flown in the face of this, but oftentimes a parliament is more conservative than than the general populace. Uh, and so you often find parliaments are being led by people, whereas I would like to see it the other way around. And it takes boldness to, to make those transformational changes. And that's why you see it in members' bills, right, rather than within the manifestos of political parties. So um, Sue Bradford taking Section 59 out of the Crimes Act so that people can't use smacking their children can't can't defend that in court uh, or the homosexual law reform or marriage equality or even going back to civil unions right like these were members bills rather than parts of government manifestos uh, which shows that it, it takes the courage of one person to do it rather than it being put to the electorate what is the opposite of incrementalism actually making change so like transformation yeah 
and having an ideology and following through on it, you know, like what is John Key's ideology? What is Jacinda Ardern's ideology? We project these ideologies onto people, you know, so people talk about Jacinda Ardern having been the former head of the International Youth Socialist, and so therefore she's a leftist and a progressive. But if we actually look at her track record, it doesn't really suggest leftism or much progressivism. Yeah, transformational is the opposite of incrementalism. Uh, but we developed MMP to kind of avoid wholesale transformation. You know, we, we tried to create a situation where, uh, like the fourth Labour government and then the National Party that came in after it, couldn't make these wholesale changes because they would have these handbrakes of coalitions on them. And I think that as a result, we've kind of ended up stagnating as a country. Maybe New Zealanders like incrementalism and don't want transformation. You're right, that could very well be it. But I, like I say, just because that's what they like doesn't necessarily mean it's right. And it also starts to beg the question, when you say maybe New Zealanders, who are the New Zealanders you're referring to? Because we go back to that tyranny of the majority problem, right? Where for Māori, the drug law is overwhelmingly uh, against them. Uh, so, and, you know, they're, they're the original New Zealanders, so therefore shouldn't we be listening to them a lot more? Uh, so, so who are New Zealanders that you refer to that like incrementalism? Do you think Jacinda Ardern regrets ruling out a capital gains tax for as long as she's Prime Minister? Well, no, in short, because I think that what Jacinda Ardern seems to believe is that if she can hold a large chunk of the population as voters for Labour, whether or not that's a majority, late 40s, whatever, then she can make lasting change. That's what she's talked about. We want to make change that's sticky so that the following governments that come in after us can't undo what we've done. And so she pursues a path towards that rather than any meaningful change. And I think we need to be careful in that a capital gains tax or a wealth tax is not some silver bullet that's going to suddenly fix the property crisis in New Zealand and it's not going to make it redistributive and and a fairer um, economy. But it is nevertheless a lever that could have been pulled, so she needs to find other levers to pull in order to try and correct this wrong. I don't think she regrets it at all. I think that there are some others within the Labour Party and certainly the Green Party that regret that she said it uh, because they know how popular she is. But no, I think her her position is kind of focused on just maintaining power. What, what are you suggesting as an alternative? The government leading the way and making decisions that might not necessarily be particularly popular in the moment but will age well long term? Like, yeah. how can you make that projection? Well, you, you, you get expert advice, right? So like I said, in 2010, the Law Commission was recommending reform then. And in 10 years' time, we've seen no reform. You know, we had uh, a bill that said the police, there was changes to the Misuse of Drugs Act to allow for more police discretion, but we saw uh, very little change as a consequence of that. So my first thing is don't put these questions to a referendum. They should not be going to a referendum. You're an elected official. Do your job. And doing your job can be getting expert advice uh, and weighing up what we should be doing based on that expert advice and then making a decision. And 
a lot of people may disagree with it. The majority of people may disagree with it. But you've got to trust in the people that have gone and been educated and studied these problems and these situations and understand them. And there'll be competing views even within those, but then you have to weigh everything up as a politician. That's a core part of your job. You know, putting these things to referendum is just an abdication of your own job. And we don't all get to do that with our jobs. We don't all get to go, oh, I don't want to do this bit of it, so I'm going to actually just chuck it out for somebody else to do. And that's what referenda do. What sort of stuff would you like to see them do in order to fulfil? I mean, you know, Jacinda Ardern talked a lot about being transformational, being a transformational government. What should they be looking at doing to live up to that? I think everyone's got their own vision of what transformational looks like and what they want to see transformed. I would like to see drug reform. Uh, that's that's uh, something I'm really interested and passionate about. We saw um, in the States, Oregon has just decriminalized everything. Um, that's heroin, meth, the lot. It's all now decriminalized. And we that happened in Portugal 20-odd years ago uh, and has been really successful. I'd like to see benefits increased to a livable level. Um, benefits were designed to be less than uh, what was required to live and sustain yourself, and so they need to come up. Uh, I would like to see boring stuff like RMA reform so that we can get proper densification uh, of housing. I would like to see better public transport. I would like to see money invested there. Um, And so for me, I have one view of what transformation looks like. Other people will have other views of what transformation looks like. That's really where you make your voice heard in the ballot box. That's it for today. I'm Emile Donovan. The detail is brought to you by newsroom.co.nz and made possible by RNZ and NZ On Air. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform. And if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so others can find us too. This episode was engineered by Jeremy Ansell and produced by Alexia Russell. And thanks to David Cormack. Matewa. Matewa.